I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Welcome into the Important Nonsense Podcast Divisional Round Edition. Now, for those of you who are regulars of the show but didn't tune in last week, you may be thinking important nonsense during the playoffs. Pardon? Well, we did realize we were having way too much fun during the regular season, and so we have decided to continue throughout the playoffs to cover the spread, cover the over-under, cover the top DFS plays, and so much more. So joining me once again is the Prop Bet Pro, the IDP MVP at the Real NWB, Nee Wallace Bruce. Nee, my friend, how are we feeling entering the divisional round of the playoffs? The first time in modern history we've only seen one team get a bye. Yes, 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 Jack. It's a pleasure to join you and John, as always. And I'm loving it. Um, Like you said, there was history made um, with only one bye for each conference. And, yeah, we're going to see the divisional round where this... This means there's only seven games left in the season, by the way. So it is bittersweet. But did you know... The home team has won 129 times this season, with the road team winning 132 times. That is mind-blowing for me. And in a yeah. season of empty seats, home field advantage only really applies to the weather. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in Buffalo, Kansas City, and Green Bay this week. Um, also, just for our listeners, I went 3 from 6 in the props last week, so I think that's still a pass. The doctor can confirm that for me his, with his collegiate um, performance. Professor experience, but um, I have a fresh set of props for you to enjoy. A C is that a conditional that's, pass? Yeah, that's a pass. That's an average. Pro- you pass just barely. All right. Pass. Well, I got a fresh set of props, so we'll go again this week. And all eyes will especially be on Buffalo as the Ravens knock off the Bills and head to the AFC Championship in that cold weather game. But anyways, I digress. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at the real NWB and be sure to listen to the fantastical advice of the doctor of dynasty at dynasty PhD, Dr. John Chancey already said hello, but John, how is it going entering the second round of the playoffs and following the natty? How does it feel to be officially entering the start of dynasty season? Yo, Jack, yo knee. Hey, it is I, Dr. Dynasty, and things are really good here. Um, you know, I go back actually to teaching on Tuesday, so that'll be fun. I, I can't think of a better way to spend my last weekend of winter break with divisional round games, perhaps the best weekend of all of football. But let's hope I can do better than last week as far as picking against the spread. I went two and four against the spread. I mean, I was five and one straight up, so I think my head was in the right place as far as the picks were concerned, but it just didn't work out. It was one of those weekends, uh, you know, didn't quite work out like I hope, but I'm going to keep swinging and try to get above 500 this week because we got, you know, we got enough games. I think I could break 500. Um, And like you mentioned, Jack, dynasty season is in full swing. College football might be over. But draft season, getting ready for the NFL draft has just begun. And at importantnonsense.com, the Dynasty team especially, we are pumping out some really great content to get our listeners and readers ready for their rookie draft. So stick around for that uh, throughout the offseason. You absolutely have to be following John to get ready for Dynasty. And it's just going to make you a better fantasy football player in general. So follow John on Twitter at Dynasty PhD and on Instagram at Scouser underscore from underscore OKC. But anyways, enough about us. It's time to get down to the nitty gritty of all the football action. But first, like I said, we got to witness the natty earlier this week, the college football national championship. And so many of you are probably thinking, well, I'm a fantasy football player. I don't need to hear about college. I promise you're wrong. Learning about these college prospects, it's only going to make you better in 2021. And for that reason, we're going down a different rabbit hole for the start of the show. With the Natty having taken place earlier this week, and with the Doctor of Dynasty, and with another brilliant mind in the Dynasty space, 
with knee. We're going to kick things off with takeaways from the national championship. Little primer for draft season and for dynasty season. And so Alabama Crimson Tide absolutely waxed the Ohio State Buckeyes 52-24. Alabama's just too good. They hoard five-star players. They pump out NFL-ready talent, which means we're going to be talking about some of these guys all spring, all summer. We're going to be getting highlights in the summer of just these guys balling out in training camp. And it's especially true when it comes to Devonta Smith, the Heisman winner. Smith absolutely dominates Ohio State's Sean Wade. Probably goes from 13th in Todd McShay's mock draft to a day three pick. Absolutely brutal. In the first half of the game, Smith catches 12 balls, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. All Like, like I said, first half. Nine times in college football history has a receiver top 200 yards in the first half. Three of those times were Devontae freaking Smith. He is fantastic, wins the Heisman, catches 117 balls for over 1,800 yards, and sets the SEC record with 23 receiving touchdowns. Absolutely dominant. As the Slim Reaper, he's only listed at six foot one, 175 pounds. And the BMI Twitter has really turned against him. It's turned him into a controversial prospect. There aren't many guys that look like him in the NFL. So does that make him an outlier? Or does or is that a good thing and make him a wide receiver one? Or is it a bad thing? Jack, no, I mean, you know, I don't think it's a concern. I think nowadays, I think a player, even someone who, you know, of, of slight build like Devontae Smith can come into the NFL and be successful. So I'm I'm not really that concerned um, about, you know, his ability to translate into the next level. However, I'm going to kind of drop my, my first take of the podcast, my first hot take. I'm wondering if Devontae Smith, is even the best wide receiver on his own team. Have we already forgotten about Alabama's other great wide receiver, Jalen Waddell? I mean, Waddell was on a pace that, had he played the entire season, might have been pretty close to Smith in terms of production until he got hurt early in the season. He ended up missing most of the season. But in four games of action before he got hurt, he put up 557 yards on 25 catches and four TDs. He never had a game, I think, under 120 yards during that span. His career average at Alabama is 18.9 yards per reception. He is extremely fast. Um, He's also somewhat slight of build as well. Um, But I think him and Smith are both phenomenal players. Um, But they probably both will have to put on some weight, put on some muscle for the next level. But I'm going to give Waddle a slight edge and try to avoid the recency bias of, of all the hype for Smith. Look, I, I agree partially with you there, Doc. I, as a member of the, the slight brigade, I, I would like to put on some weight myself, but I'm, I'm waiting for my gym to reopen. Anyway, I am going to disagree with you on Devonta Smith. Though. For me, no gains. <laughs> gains are where it's at, my friend. you got to get them gains. Anyway, um, Devon Smith for me is the wide receiver one, the undoubted one from this class. It's, it's not even close. Um, the question is whether Miami drafts Smith at number three to reunite him with Tua, because Tua Tungabailoa obviously went to Alabama. He knows Smith well. That will be quite a pairing. That'll be quite a this dream in Dynasty, no doubt. Why I loved draft season. It's beautiful. We've got three guys, three different wide receiver ones, because I'm going with LSU's. Jamar Chase set the SEC touchdown record in 2019 when he caught 20 freaking touchdowns. And he obviously had that record broken. But during that season, averaged 21.2 yards per catch, 84 balls, seven, over 1,700 yards. He did all of that at 19 years old. Remember, Devontae Smith was 22 this year. Jamar Chase, 19. And so that's why I have Chase as the wide receiver one. But really, I think Smith is go- this versus Smith Chase debate. It's going to turn into DJ Moore versus Calvin Ridley 2.0. Chase as DJ Moore, Smith as Calvin Ridley. And regardless, there's a real chance that no matter how much you like these two players, Wal- Jalen Waddle is the fastest player if there is a combine, which could end up having him as the first receiver drafted, a la Henry Ruggs. So who knows how this is going to go? Could be a landmine being overdrafted. I, I don't know. Neil, what do you think? And I t- tell us about your anti-drafting wide receiver strategy because that's another thing that's going to play into factors are you willing to take these guys in the first round yes jack thanks for the reminder that's a very good point you raise i am 
a guy that fades the right wide receiver position in rookie drafts. And here's the deal. I'm not willing to burn up a roster spot while they're getting up to speed with the, the playbook and the offense. That that could be a season or two before they come good. I know this wide receiver class is one of the deepest in years, but what I do instead is I let other teams draft these young guns and then I let them lose patience. And when they get fed up and they want to trade them away at a discount, that's when I step in. So in recent years, I've used this approach to go get myself Deontay Johnson, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, and Paris Campbell, who's going to be very good next year for the Colts. As for Jalen Waddle, I just want to touch on him because I, I, I do kind of agree with the doc a little bit. While I love Devonta Smith, I think that Jalen Waddle's talent is undeniable. And I think he will deliver wide receiver two value in fantasy. He could be a guy that um, Miami might take at number 18, for example, in the draft, pick 18. The thing that is a concern is his ankle injury from Monday night's game. So maybe he'll be a guy to add to my list of wide receivers that I'll monitor and wait to acquire on the cheap. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up his, you know, injury history. I, you know, I was worried about Waddle too uh, until I saw him leaping and running around on the sideline against Notre Dame, and he wasn't even playing in the game. Uh, he still managed to get back on the field and play against Chokio State. I mean, Ohio State. Uh, he caught three passes for thirty-four yards. Um, you know, they didn't really even need him, though. He was such a, a good decoy uh, at that point. Just put him on the field, let him run, you know, a go route, whatever, and, and pull uh, some defenders away from uh, from Smitty. Um, but, yeah, I'm not too worried about the injury history, but you might be right. That could be something that could ding him potentially in the draft. We'll see. You just absolutely love this. Just It's going to be a fiery debate all off season. So much talent at the wide receiver position. But we'll move on for now to the 101 in single quarterback leagues at six foot two, 230 pounds. Gonna run a low four five, a high four four. The man is a freak athlete. Najee Harris from Alabama is a monster. Running back, scores 30 touchdowns this year, breaking Derrick Henry's TD record of 28. Totes the ball 22 times, catches another seven passes, scores two by land, one by air, puts up 158 yards from scrimmage against a strong Ohio State defense in the biggest game of the year. So we agree, right? Najee Harris, RB1, Najee Harris, 101 overall, unless you're in Superflex. Yes? Just like Lee Corso would say, not so fast, Jack. Don't forget about Travis Etienne from Clemson. Um, you know, this guy, uh, he had a season not too long ago that I think was it was on pace with Najee Harris's uh, 2018, where ATN found the end zone 26 times, 24 times on the ground, two of them uh, by receptions. He has 70 career touchdowns at Clemson. The dude is just a beast and uh, finding the end zone per uh, PFF. They both, him and Harris and Etienne, have nearly identical elusive scores, which is which is just a fancy stat for saying they avoid tackles. But Etienne was a was slightly more productive with less touches this season than Najee was. I don't really think you can go wrong with either pick at number one. But if I have that top pick in rookie drafts, I'm actually going to take Travis Etienne. I respect that, Doc. But once again, I'm going to have to disagree with you, my friend, because. Najee Harris is the RB1 from this class, and it's not even close. I'm planting my flag. Yep, I just did that. If Miami wanted to take him in the second round and pair him up with Tua, I wouldn't be surprised. That would be another nice one-two punch. Anyway, in addition to Harris and ATN, because ATN will be up there as well. I admit that. I also like Trey Sermon, Kenneth Gainwell, and maybe even Javante Williams, depending on the landing spot. I'm also going to shout out Cuba Hubbard, because he's Canadian. So far, we've got the Miami Dolphins are going to get Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and now Najee Harris with their first three picks. We're just bringing Alabama right to Miami to South Beach. I love it. Uh, but, Nee, it's actually interesting. You were the second person this week to mention Kenneth Gainwell uh, from Memphis. And I think this is a sign that I need to keep my eye out on this guy uh, running back from Memphis. But also, don't sleep on Coastal Carolina's C.J. Marable and UAB's Spencer Brown in later rounds of the draft. I think they're going to go uh, probably day two and day three in the NFL draft, <clears throat> but keep your eye on them for your rookie drafts. I've written about both of these guys at importantnonsense.com. 
another debate that's going to last throughout the offseason. Battle of a prototypical bell cow with a receiving ability in Harris versus an electric game-breaking speedster in Etienne. So either way, like you said, it's, it's not as clear-cut as the Jonathan Taylor as the RB1 of last year. But we will close out this college football offense with quarterbacks because the class is just absolutely loaded. Everyone knows about Trevor Lawrence. We all, we all know. We don't need to tell you about Sunshine. Everyone knows he's QB1 and the 101 in Superflex Leagues. It's not close. He's going to Jacksonville for sure. So the rest of the guys that are interesting. So Justin Fields in the national championship completes fifty, just 51.5% of his 33 attempts, 194 yards in a TD against a really good defense. No turnovers either. Adds another 67 yards as a runner. But it's not a great performance. The week before, though, he completes 78.6% of his 28 attempts, 385 yards, six touchdowns versus Clemson in the biggest game of his career up to that point. Then we've got another dual threat in Zach Wilson, the BYU QB, 32 touchdowns, three interception ratio this year with another 10 tuds as a runner. He is absolutely incredible. The Mormon Mansell. We've also got Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Only had an exhibition game this year, but last year, 28 touchdowns with no picks. That was beautiful. That was while running for 1,000 yards or 1,150 yards. Ridiculous. And 14 touchdowns. We've got these four dual threat quarterbacks at the top. And we haven't even mentioned the quarterback who won the national championship because Mac Jones was just incredible in the natty. Throws for 464 yards, five tuds against Ohio State, who's always a really good defense. Ends the year with over 4,000 yards, 41 touchdowns, just four interceptions too. So thanks in part to Devontae Smith winning the Heisman. But what do we do? Like there's so many talented quarterbacks. Who's the QB2? How big is the gap between Trevor Lawrence and said QB2? And can we possibly draft Mac Jones before any of these Konami quarterbacks? Or is just the rushing upside what we have to chase going forward? Jack, these are all great questions. And thinking about the quarterback prospects from a dynasty standpoint, my rankings uh, at this point in the offseason, I've got Trevor Lawrence number one, obviously. I like Zach Wilson number two. Um, I think Justin Fields is, is right behind Wilson. Uh, we've got Trey Lance at four right now, Mac Jones at five, and Trask at six. Um, I think Trevor is the clear-cut number one. Congratulations to the city of Jacksonville, um, even though you might lose your team to London eventually, but congrats either way. Um, I think Wilson is going to get a ton of hype during the offseason, and rightfully so. I think he probably, in any given year, if this was any other draft, he probably could you know, get the hype enough to build up to be the number one overall pick. Um, I do think the bowl season put a dent in the stock of Fields and Trask. Both of them got exposed in big moments on big stages. Um, and then, you know, I think, you know, Jones obviously played himself, I think, into almost a guaranteed first round draft spot. Um, and also, I think he's more mobile than we, we think and give him credit for. So obviously, he's not as mobile as some of the other players we talked about. But, um, you know, Lance took the year off. But I think that kind of mystery of not having seen him play for a while and the last thing we remember about him is that phenomenal 2019 season. I don't know. Maybe that could be to his advantage and he can just really shine in the combine. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how I have it shaking down right now. Yeah, look um... – I, I can't disagree with a lot of what you guys have said already. We've we've been hearing about Trevor Lawrence since he came out of high school. Imagine that high school and they'll tell him as a potential Hall of Famer in the NFL. So next next year we're gonna see. We're gonna be witnesses to the Trevor Lawrence experience. Um the hype is real. I'm also taking a liking to Zach Wilson to be honest, and I wouldn't mind if the forty ers took him because they had success with a dual threat quarterback who came from BYU not too long ago. His name was Steve Young. You may have heard of him. Anyway, following that, I'm a fan of Justin Fields, and I'm going to get into that later on as to where he could possibly go. It might shock you, but anyway. Uh, Matt Jones, Trey Lance, guys that you mentioned, and also Kyle, Kyle Trask. I know some people have dropped off on him, but I'm still on board with the Florida Gator. And look, Monday night's game just showed that Matt Jones is a big game player, and it's good for his potential longevity in the league because that's what you play the game for, to win. But for today's fantasy game, I prefer guys who are going to deliver that high floor with their wheels and give me some rushing yards and touchdowns. 
All right, so that does it for the offense. But when you have a brilliant IDP mind on the show, you can't let it go to waste. So to touch on the defense, there is no Chase Young this year. There's no Nick Bosa, no Joey Bosa, no Quinn Williams, no Derek Brown. We don't have those dominant top 10 locks on the defensive line in a weaker class. Got some high potential guys like Quiddy Pay from Michigan, Christian Barrymore from Alabama at tackle, but it's lacking stars. Instead, the stars are guys like Alabama cornerback Patrick Sutain, the, the third, whose father played cornerback in the NFL for 11 years, three-time pro bowler. And then we've got perhaps the best linebacker prospect since Luke Keekley in Micah Parsons out of Penn State. So when you have a weaker defensive line class, high-end studs at linebacker and cornerback, do you draft those guys Parsons and Sertain early or do you reach on the defensive lineman looking for those big plays and knowing you can get a linebacker like Dylan Moses down the line well that's a very good question Jack I think it depends really whether you're playing redraft or dynasty I think if you're playing redraft you, you it's one and done so you want to get the best team out there as soon as possible so you're probably looking at your linebackers but I tend to look at it through a dynasty lens when it comes to everything. That's just how I am. And I want to address some more scarce positions in IDP if I can through the draft. So I'm not afraid to look at the guys that you mentioned on the defensive line. And also someone like Jay Tefele, um and that Davion Nixon at defensive end, as well as um, a defensive tackle who I'm going to write about this week in... Um, Jalen Twyman from Pittsburgh. So these are the defensive line is a very hard to replace position compared to the linebacker position. That's linebacker. I'm not saying I'm not going to say it's dime a dozen, but because there's more linebackers out there by design, it's usually easier to replace on the waivers. Um, also, if you're looking for a safety or a hybrid linebacker safety, take a look at Hamza Nasruddin from Florida State. He has that. Um, I'm not going to say he's the next Jeremy Chin or Isaiah Simmons, he's his next Hamza Nasser Dean, but he's a guy that can tackle heavy, get a lot of tackles in, and he's got big, big play upside on coverage. Fantastic insight as always, and I know you wrote a player profile or player profile on him over on importantnonsense.com. So make sure you check that out. But that's going to wrap up our little dynasty preview. Before we move on to the playoffs, though, we do have some news around the league. The Jacksonville Jaguars look set to make Urban Meyer their next head coach, and he may just be joined by former head coach from Louisville, Texas, and South Florida, Charlie Strong. That's quite an all-star catch or cast. They're looking for the college atmosphere. They've got a bunch of picks, a bunch of money. I'm prepared for them to bring in Trevor Lawrence's QB one, maybe bring in Dwayne Haskins' QB two or three, and then bring in like Curtis Samuel for the Ohio state connection, starting to get some vibes of the Seahawks back when Pete Carroll first arrived, all the college motivational style of managing. So what do you guys think about that? Can urban Meyer work in the NFL? Yeah, Jack, I think he can. Um, you know, I think that that style of coaching, I think, can work. And we can look at an example of Jim Harbaugh coming to San Francisco and turning that franchise around and taking them to the Super Bowl, um, you know, within his time span there. But I also think we see have seen the limitations on that style of coaching. If, if you're going to have that kind of rah-rah college approach, I think there are limitations to how long that will work. Um, and also, I think, you know, it's great that I think he's a great mind as far as a football mind is concerned. But um, there will always be concerns about Urban Meyer, how long he will stay uh, at any given job, whether it's, you know, because of his ambitions to move up, you know, and whatever the next position might be or the next job or health concerns. That's a very real concern. So I think he can be successful, but just for how long, I, I, I think is a big question mark. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I was going to touch on with Mr. Kubiak in uh, Minnesota, it, health concerns probably have impacted his decision uh, for the future. So that needs to be watched out for with Urban Meyer. Uh, that being said, I can see it'll be challenging for Jacksonville because here's the thing. Since the year 2000, Three coaches, count it, three coaches have gone from college to the NFL and have had a winning record. So those are Pete Carroll, Jim Harbour, and Bill O'Brien. Apologies to uh, Steve Bottom, the important nonsense owner. Um, the thing is, 
Maya's going into a situation where he's got the number one pick and he's got a lot of cap space. So even if he doesn't go ahead and draft Justin Fields the number one pick, he could still attract some of his former guys from Ohio State. So like you mentioned, Curtis Samuel or even Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, I'm sure Dallas wouldn't mind getting that contract away and Jacksonville are good for it. So they, they could do with a run back. Um, so I think the Jacksonville fans need to be patient. It's not going to be an overnight thing. It could take two or three years, but if they trust the process and if Shad Khan gives Maya what he needs, it can happen. Just exciting times around the NFL. But for the rest of the head coaching market, sounds like the dominoes will start to fall once 49ers DC Robert Sala makes a decision. So Bob Sala interviewed once with the Lions, Eagles, and Falcons. Interviewed twice with the Jets and Chargers. Sounds like he has his choice of what job he wants to take. And then once he decides where he's going, sounds like the Panthers OC Joe Brady is the guy in Atlanta also could end up being Arthur Smith from Tennessee, though. That's popping up. Bill's OC, Brian Dable, is expected to be the boss for the Chargers, which leaves the Lions to figure things out. Same with the Jets, Eagles, and Texans. You need to figure out what's going on with Deshaun Watson before anyone else. But once again, this all becomes clear once Sala pulls the trigger. And one final note, like me hinted at, the Vikings might be looking at moving on from offensive coordinator, not by choice. He might be retiring. And so that will leave all six of the teams with new head coaches looking for new offensive coordinators, as well as the Steelers. They fired Randy Fickner. The Seahawks, they fired Brian Schottenheimer. And the Dolphins, they fired Chan Gailey, as well as potentially the Vikings. So we could end up with 11 teams with new offensive bosses Lots of turnover in the NFL. Enough about that. It's finally time to talk some playoff football. And with that, you got to talk about the first game because it is just wild. I, I can't believe it happened. The LA Rams upset the Seattle Seahawks with Jared Goff completely broken. He wasn't even starting that game. And now for their reward, they get to head up to Titletown, travel to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field as six-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Green Bay Packers. Congrats, Rams, on your prize. Yeah, not a great prize at all indeed, Jack. Um, and this is an interesting matchup. As you mentioned, the Packers are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Uh, this is the number one scoring offense with the Packers playing the number one scoring defense in the Rams. The Packers were 10-6 and six against the spread this season. Um, and one of the better records, obviously, in 2020. Um, and here, I'm going to change it up a little bit from last week. So I'm going to I'm going to talk about how the Rams could win the game. Um, obviously, the Rams, I think, have the best defense left in the playoffs. They have a running game that is getting hot at the right time uh, with Cam Akers. The Packers are in the middle of the pack when it comes to playing against the run. Um, so I think I, I you know I think with that. Um, that to their advantage, you know, they really take advantage of the Packers defense. They could win the game, but I'm going to pick the Packers and why they will win is because they're in freaking Rogers and they're playing at home in Lambeau. The Packers just don't lose in Lambeau all that often. And especially uh, to broken Jared Goff. I just do not think with his healing hand on the road, um, I just don't think that's going to be enough to beat the, to beat the Packers. Um, Lambeau is too cold. For the City Slickers from L.A., I think Green Bay is going to win and cover 27 to 17. Um, I don't or 27 to 17. Excuse me. Aaron Rodgers, I think, has come too far this season to get the number one seed and get bounced in their first game. Also, interesting storyline. And I know there's probably some technicality I'm not thinking of right now. But if the Packers could go up and pick up offensive tackle Jared Valdir from the Colts, and he got to play last week for the Colts. Now he's playing for the Packers. Why couldn't the Rams go pick up Tyler Haneke? I mean, at this point, I think he'd be he'd be better off than Goff. I mean, I don't know. I just think that would be a much better game to watch even, too. I'll help you out there, Doc. Um, so the Packers were able to pick up Jared Valdir because he was on the Colts practice squad when he um, ended up suiting up for them last week against Buffalo. Uh, as a footnote, Valdir has actually been, um, he's actually on the COVID list. He tested positive for COVID. So he signed with the Packers and he actually won't be able to play this week. So that's a bit of a bump for him. But he would have been the first player to play for two different teams in the postseason if he was able to suit up. So he might be able to suit up later on in the postseason. Nevertheless, um, 
if Heineke was on the Washington practice squad, he might be able to be signed up. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is available, just saying. Anyway, moving on to the over-under. I am going to go with the under, which is, at this for this game, it's 45.5 points. Here's the deal. This game is losing, looming as another ice ball. You know, like one of those bowls that you put your ice in at a party. It will be cold, windy, and just plain uncomfortable for the visitors. However, the Rams have built back up their defense since Wade Phillips left town, and they're number one in the league, believe it or not. And Sean McVay is committed to running the ball a lot more than he did when they went to the Super Bowl, which is very important when you consider that Green Bay has a run-funnel defense. They will let you run the ball against them. The 49ers did it very well last year. I still think Aaron Rodgers finds Devontae Adams when things get tight, but David Bakhtiari is going to be on the sidelines. He's injured. So Aaron Donald is going to make a few visits to the backfield. He's going to keep the game close with pressure. If LA can use Cam Akers and establish the run early, I'm going to say it, they're going to win. But if Jared Goff has to sling the ball more than 25 times, the weather will come to play and it'll be a good day for Green Bay. Bold, bold, bold. But they're just perfect anyways because I've got Green Bay to cover and I've got the other because of Above all else, Aaron Rodgers refuses to make mistakes. And it was almost to his downfall in recent years. He was throwing the ball away way too much. And we saw the risk avoidance once again against the Panthers a couple weeks ago. They got up 21-3 to heading into half. And then in the second, take their foot off the gas, only score three for the rest of the game. So I totally get where you're coming from. And like Nee has said, the Packers are a complete run funnel, which means we're playing Cam Akers in DFS. I faded him last week. I'm sorry, guys. I, I really am. I'm sorry. I didn't think the guy who was dealing with a high ankle sprain sat out only two weeks would carry the ball 21 times and get 134 yards. I'm sorry I didn't see that coming. But anyways, my bad. Moving on, though, the Packers are a run funnel. The LA is without John Wolford, which means Blake the Bortles is back in business as the backup. And this also means that Jared Goff will be starting and four-fingered Ryan Gosling is going to check to run plays all of the time. Makers is going to eat, but it won't be enough to compete. So you can't play any of the other options on the Rams because they're just too volatile with Goff's injury. As for the Packers, though, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to throw three TD passes in the first half to Devontae Adams, and then he's going to have a return to the run game in the second half. Probably going to have a third touchdown pass to Big Bob Tunyon as well. And I, I, I don't know. We have seen the Packers recently when they're up, Turned to A.J. Dillon, turned in 21 carries into 124 yards and two tugs against Tennessee in Week 16 and another snowball. So I don't know. With, with the low score, I, I don't want to say it, but we could be looking at a Cam Akers versus A.J. Dillon matchup. So like, just to recap quickly, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, of course. And then we're okay with A.J. Dillon. We're also okay with Big Bob Tunyon. And we are a little bit in on A.J. Dillon. I'm, I, I don't know. We could It could happen. Yep, and uh, this is a reminder, your friendly reminder from your dynasty people to go get AJ Dillon. Just don't don't overthink it. Aaron Jones is a free agent. Packers may not bring him back. AJ Dillon can show us once again that he's the guy for Green Bay next year. Anyway, not talking about next year too much, but in terms of next game, we have a prop to consider. Two props even, yes. Because here's the deal. My bookmaker probably saw that put down a bet for punting and they took away that punt option so we can't use that this week although i still think the rams will punt first but that's just going to be have to be an imaginary prop in terms of real life props i am going to go with the highest scoring half of the game will be the first half so that's offering 1.8 units for every one unit invested and it's just green bay and the rams are just notorious for scoring early even more so Green Bay, and we know about Sean McVay's record when he leaves at half time. So if they're gonna win, they're gonna have to get out to an early lead and just establish the run. My second favorite prop for this game is the high-scoring quarter. So I want you folks to consider the second quarter, which is 2.75 units for every one unit invested. Once again, Green Bay and the Rams are just statistically they they do most of their scoring in the second quarter, um, as we've seen this season, and I just expect the points to be piled on before halftime. So this is probably the least exciting game we have on the slate. So we'll be back with all the fire after this. 
Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right, and there are three ways for you to play. Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less. Stat Shootout, you put together a two or three player team that will accumulate the most of whatever stat you've chosen to play. Touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds your chosen goal, you'll win. And the higher the target goal, the more you win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee. Or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry fee. Obviously, you gotta go big or go home. Then we've got Rapid Fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Julio or Devontae Adams. Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But like we said, the higher risk, the higher the reward. Yup, I only need to get two out of three matchups right, and I win 1.5 times my entry. But then, when I go all in, and I can get five out of five, I'm looking at 15 times the payout. I can buy a lot of Josh Jacobs jerseys with that money. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Depending on the contest, you'll be given two to six players and their statistic target for that game, like Austin Eckler with over under four and a half receptions against the Raiders. You have to decide if that player is going to get more or less than that target number. Just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return. You can go two for two and get 1.5 times the payout, or you've got the nerve, you can attempt to go six for six and hit 30 times the payout. So many Josh Jacobs jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. I do love free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code nonsense and monkey knife fight will match your deposit up to fifty dollars this is literally playing with house money guys go sign up on monkey knife fight with the promo code nonsense and get in on the action this weekend we are back and up next we have the hottest team in the nfl the baltimore ravens traveling up to buffalo to take on the bills in a battle to decide who gets to meet patrick mahomes and the kansas city chiefs in the afc championship and we all know i am all in on lamar i'm sure you guys are pulling for him too you're all pulling for the ravens of course though we're going to be thrilled either way mahomes versus allen glorious mahomes versus lamar immaculate either way we will be lucky but let's get to the game. Yeah, Jack, this is going to be a really fun game. The Bills are a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home, and one of the interesting storylines, of course, will be the battle of the 2018 quarterback drafts. Uh, quarterback draft, we have two quarterbacks, of course, who were both passed on, and both of their teams were actually 11-6 and six against the spread this season. Um, so that'll be interesting to see who can prevail. Um, why I think the Bills could win the game well josh allen would be a big part of that i think if he cooks uh if he's able to continue his ascension into one of the elite quarterbacks then i think the bills could win and also they're going to need a little bit of help from their defense they're going to need to force some turnovers from lamar but i think the ravens are going to win in our first upset of the of the round baltimore (laughs) right i knew you'd like that jack i knew that would help me get over this podcast uh, Baltimore keeps up their hot streak. Um, Lamar continues his scorched earth playoff campaign. This has a really good chance to potentially be a snow game, which means I think it will come down to the run game. And the Ravens are still king when it comes to running the ball. Second year in a row, they've rushed for 3,000 yards or more. It's just unbelievable. So I'm going to pick the Ravens to win, to win in an upset. 27 to 23. The Bills, I think they are a good team on the rise, but they will have to wait another year to make their Super Bowl run. I think they're going to have to wait and go through Baltimore. They're not going to be able to do it this weekend. Yeah, this game is looming as a as a classic, and the over-under is interesting here. It's 5.5 points uh, from our friends in Vegas, and I'm actually going to take the under, and one of the reasons is we have another IC matchup. Western New York is going to turn it on for us in prime time, nice and cold. 
And I know the narrative this week has been that Lamar Jackson has not played in a serious bad weather game yet, but he plays in AFC North. He plays against Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Fitzgerald. It's not like he's not used to playing in cold weather. So I still think he will be extending drives with his legs, and Josh Allen will do the same. But in the same way that the Ravens are good at running the ball, they're also pretty good at stopping the run. So that could be telling. It'll be very interesting to see what Josh Allen does when he has Kalei Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe coming at him from the edge because he's often been able to scramble, turn those potential sacks into first downs with rushing yards, but could be different on Saturday night. And I know this will make me unpopular with the Bills Mafia, but I've got to say it. The Ravens will make those plays to shock Buffalo. It's going to be tight throughout. And Justin Tucker, the kicker, will be the difference. He's going to use his boot to win the game. <laughs> yes, we absolutely love to see it from both of you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. So, of course, I'm taking the Ravens to cover the spread. I don't care about the over-under at all. You know I'm a biased Ravens fan. A win is a win. Let's go Ravens. But anyways, let's be serious because you guys get, did give some magnificent analysis. So I've got to keep up. So with the snow, two rushing quarterbacks – we're obviously into both for DFS. Yeah, Lamar hasn't played in the snow before. May hurt him as a passer, but the Bills' run defense has been weak all year. And just imagine trying to bring down Lamar Jackson while you're basically on skates on a frozen field. It's, it's not going to be possible. So Lamar is a play, as is J.K. Dobbins, because this Ravens' run game is just so hot. It's going to be cooking. And I'm less in on the pass catchers because I don't know what to expect. I just don't know how it's going to go because it's a new experience for Lamar. But for the Bills... They can't run the ball with anyone but Josh Allen, like you said. And Zach Moss is out for the rest of the season. Devin Singletary is a slow, small scat back who doesn't catch passes. So it's a good thing that Josh Allen is Buffalo incarnate. He was built for snow games. Built, He's got the cannon of the arm, massive frame, can take the hits. So play Josh Allen in the snow. Snack him with Stephon Diggs. We saw A.J. Brown dominate the Ravens last week. And I kind of like the idea of Dawson Knox this week as well. Ravens rookie linebacker Patrick Queen has a bottom five peak coverage grade from PFF. And we saw Knox catch two balls for five yards and a touchdown against the Colts last week. So why can't he score again? That's all you need at touchdown. And as always, you, can, you know you can mix in Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis if you want to. It's also important to note John Brown was targeted four times last week, even though he had a zero in the stat sheet. To recap real quick, it's Lamar and Dobbins for the Ravens. And for the Bills, it's anyone in the passing game. Allen and Diggs especially with Dawson Knox a little sprinkling. And then Beasley and Davis and Brown are not going to fault you either. Yeah, and um, that brings us to our, my favorite prop of the game. So this game, it's actually for... Baltimore to score points in every quarter. Now, I know you're saying, hey, but you just chose the under, but that doesn't mean that Baltimore can't score points. They can do it through the boot of Tucker. They can do it through defensive touchdowns. I just think that Baltimore will want to keep the scoreboard ticking over however they can, and I feel like they're going to get points in all four quarters of the game. Now we'll move on to Sunday, where we kick things off with a 3.05 Eastern kickoff. Cleveland Browns have not only ended their playoff drought, but you want to talk about playoffs? Well, the Browns is the Browns, and Baker Mayfield is 1-0 in the playoffs for his career. How do you like that? Anyways, he's heading to Kansas City as 10-point underdogs to Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. Jack and that spread is making me feel a little dangerous to quote Baker Mayfield. 10 points. Geez, that's oh, tough. Oh. I know. It's and it's tough. Um, you know, weird stat. The Chiefs, you know, they had a great year, secured the number one uh seed, obviously in the AFC, but they were actually seven and nine against the spread this year, uh, which it seems like a bit of an extreme regression because they were 14 and five against the spread last year. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's some positive regression coming their way with this game. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so why I think the Browns could win. I think the Browns could potentially be one of the best teams in terms of emulating the formula that the Raiders used to beat Kansas City earlier this season. They can run the ball effectively. They can play Canadian football in terms of avoiding third downs, uh, keeping the clock moving, scoring enough points, keeping Mahomes on the sideline. But even then, even if the Browns do everything right, that still may not be enough. Um, so I think I think the Chiefs are going to win. 
You know why? Because they're the freaking Chiefs, and I think they're going to shake off the dust. I think they're going to be able to flip the switch on. That's what great teams do, and I really think this is a great team. Um, so I think we are destined for Lamar versus Mahomes part two. Unfortunately, this is not the Big 12, so we're not going to see a close game in terms of a shootout, 70 points on both sides. I think the Chiefs are going to win and cover 42-24. to 24. Oh, Doc, this has been a wacky season. I mean, if at the start of the season I told you that the, the old Cleveland Browns and the new Cleveland Browns would both be in the divisional round of the playoffs, you would have thought I was crazy. But here we are. And just circling back to the old Browns, who are now the Ravens, of course, I just want to let you know that the odds on that prop bet I told you were 3.25 units for every one unit invested. Now, fast forwarding to the future and the new Browns, the over-under for this game is 57 points, which is not... A surprise when Patrick Mahomes is involved. And I am taking over. And it's good to see Kevin Stefanski back for the Browns. He had a week off because he had COVID. But he's back on the sidelines. And they need him. But the Chiefs have also had a week off. And we all know how Andy Reid operates after a bye. He is... Now he is a dangerous It's got me guy. drooling. It's got me drooling. Right. He, there will be points on the board in this one. Patrick Mahomes is going to be looking for his guys. Tyreek and Travi. And he's going to be making plays. So Miles Garrett will be called a point from the get-go to get after the Super Bowl MVP. And I noticed last week against Pittsburgh, Garrett was getting a bit tired. Because it was a lot of him. There was no Olivier Vernon to help him out. And he's going to have a big ass to get after Patrick Mahomes. So whether the Browns get early points or not, Mahomes will get to work when it matters. We know this. And this is going to force Baker Mayfield to respond. The Browns shocked everyone last week. But this one will be more on script as Kansas City will roll on to the championship game. Yeah, and that's the thing with Kansas City is we know they're a threat to hit the over by themselves in any given day game, especially when you throw in Andy Reid coming off a bye. The over is just a lock. Like I said, I am drooling thinking about the fantasy points in this one. However, I'm also with John. I think the Browns are going to shock the world and hang tight. I'm not saying it's like super close, like a one a one or one-point game, but 10 points is just too much with the way Cleveland has bought in. <clears throat> and now, no one needs to hear me tell you this, Patrick Mahomes is going to ball out. We're, we're taking the over because of him. So Travis Kelsey is going to ball out. Tyreek Hill, they're all great plays in DFS. Same with Nick Chubb. Your studs are always in play. The last week against the Steelers, Jarvis Landry, he caught five of eight targets for 92 yards and a touchdown. But it was Austin Hooper, actually, who led the team in targets with 11 and receptions with seven. He went for 46 yards and a touchdown, which is fantastic. And meanwhile, it was Rashard Higgins. He catches just two balls on five targets, only 28 yards. So it looks like the way this is going to work, they're going to feed Landry and Hooper in the passing game and then hope take those deep shots to Higgins downfield, hope for a big play. But it's going to be the peppering of, Richard, of Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper that I'm really excited about in DFS, especially because right now you look at Hooper, he's currently tight end five in salary, and Jarvis Landry is behind a Robert Woods in salary on DFS as well. So I don't understand it. Play those studs and then play a lot of Jarvis Landry and a lot of Austin Hooper. I am excited. Yeah, I, I got to co-sign that, Jack, because look, I don't play a lot of DFS, I'll admit it, but... Austin Hooper torched a team last week in the Steelers that are pretty good against tight ends um, in recent history. And the Kansas City linebackers, they haven't been that great when it comes to stopping tight ends. Anyway, moving on to props. For this game, the prop that I really like is first penalty against. And it'll be against Kansas City, which is offering 1.85 units for every one unit invested. You may be surprised, but Kansas City are up there in terms of Penalties against for holding both starts, holding both sides of the ball, defensive and offensive. And I know Andy Reid's coming off a bye, but it's something to watch out for. I feel like when that yellow flag goes on the field, it'll be against the team in red and white. And we will close out our Sunday and our show with a battle between two of the most prolific passers in NFL history. This is almost certainly going to be their final matchup ever. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers head to New Orleans as three-point underdogs against Drew Brees and his Saints. This is going to be a battle for the ages. 
Yes, indeed, Jack. And I'm so excited that the NFL was nice enough to put this as the last game of the day. Because honestly, to me, I know you're a Ravens fan, but to me, this is the game I'm most excited about. Uh, As you mentioned, the Saints, the three-point favorites. I think Vegas is giving them that edge for being at home. Um, Just a little bit of history. The Saints won both of their games against Tampa Bay this season, and they really embarrassed the Bucs in their last meeting, 38-3. to um, Breeze really looked like his old self. He threw four touchdown passes against Tampa Bay. Uh, Brady threw three picks and no touchdowns in that game. So um, I really think that the revenge is a big factor in this game. And so I think the Saints could win. Uh, their defense, I think, is good enough to give Brady lots of fits. And if they continue to do so, um, they will have a really good chance to win. If Breeze is able to go out there and outduel Tom Brady again, then I think the Saints could win. And ultimately, I really think the Saints have the best player on the field with Alvin Kamara. So all of that said, the Saints easily could win. But I'm going to pick my second upset of the day in terms of the spread. The Bucks are going to win because I think revenge is a huge storyline. Revenge is a dish best served cold. And in New Orleans, I think revenge will be on the, uh, the menu. Tom Brady will not let this team lose again. And I think the Bucks will finally get cooking on offense against the Saints defense. I've got the Bucks winning 31 to 21. Brady is back in the conference title game where he belongs. And off the top of my head, I have no idea in the statistic, but how many quarterbacks will have potentially played in the NFC and AFC title game, a conference title game? If Brady does that, more uh, reason why he's the GOAT. And, and how many quarterbacks have made it at 40 freaking three years old? Oh, my gosh. Exactly. He's so good. He's so good. I think you'll find that it's Tom Brady and – and that's the list. <laughs> um, th- this over and under is at 52 points, and I'm going to take the over. Look, New Orleans have a unique opportunity here. They could sweep the Gronkineers. Whoever wins, however, is going to have one last chance of glory, while the loser is going to have to con- contemplate whether this was their last run at the title. This is a, a game for ages, people. Breeze and Brady. This is one we have to cherish and savor. And look, the Saints were not awesome last week against Chicago. The game was a Nickelodeon, and they're a little bit slimy. But they did what was required. This week, Breeze is going to have to link up with Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders a lot more often. I expect both teams to score in the same way that a boxer would throw punches in a bout. It's going to be tit for tat. So the over is not going to be in question. It's going to be taken care of early. But the final result, that will be interesting. If Tampa Bay keeps the pocket clean, using additional tight ends and, you know, 12 personnel, so a lot of Gronk and Cameron Brayton and O.J. Howard keep Tom Brady upright, they'll keep the ball moving and they'll get by. But if Tom goes sideways, it'll be fun times for the Saints on Bourbon Street on Sunday night. All right, you've both sold me once again with your arguments. We already know, for those of you who listened last week, that I've got the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. I took them 38-35 to over the Kansas City Chiefs. Everyone's like, oh, what, you don't think there's going to be any defense? No, I, I, I straight up don't. I think Tom Brady is playing amazing football, so I'm taking the Bucs to win this game, and I'm taking them to cover as well. With the overhitting, oh boy, this is a game we want to target the most in our DFS lineups. Tom Brady throwing for 400 yards. That's a lock. It's going to happen, and that means we're firing up Mike Evans, we're firing up Antonio Brown, and we're firing up Chris Godwin, even though everyone on Twitter, oh, he had five drops last week. Come on, like the guy just had a pin removed from his broken finger. He's had hand surgery twice in the past like four weeks. Can can we just stop? The guy has great hands. It's not his fault that he's dealing with a broken finger, and that's why he had some drops. And he still even – you're upset. He caught five balls for 79 yards and a touchdown, even with the drops. So that we've also got Mike Evans. He went for 119 yards last week. No score, though. But eight, Antonio Brown, he goes for 49 yards and a tug. So they're all dangerous, and it's a dart throw of who's going to pop off. But stay away from the backfield in this one because Bruce 
Arians is a liar. He lied to us about Rojo's injury. So now we just can't trust it. We don't know if Ronald Jones is going to get the carries. We don't know if it's Fournette. It's not stable in DFS. So anyways, we're building lineups with Brady stacked with one or two of the pass catchers. And then we are going to run it right back with Alvin Kamara and or Michael Thomas. Because last week against a strong Bears defense, Michael Thomas caught five balls, 73 yards in the touchdown. Great from him. Meanwhile, Kamara, he had just two receptions for 17 yards, but he has 99 yards in a touchdown on the ground. So we can play these studs always. Start your studs in DFS, like we already said. And feel free to play Adam Troutman as well. He's at the minimum salary for tight ends, even though he led the Saints in tight end snaps week 16 and 17, and he only played six fewer snaps than Jared Cook in the wild card last week. So why not Troutman? Take a shot, especially at tight end. Also, also, take a shot on Adam Troutman in Dynasty, people. Please. He is... Jared Cook is a free agent at the end of the year, and we know this New Orleans team of doing like a last dance kind of thing, so Troutman is set up to the start of next season. I know we don't talk DFS, but I'm just going to give a slight nudge to Evans and Godwin, because I noticed when the Tampa Bay offense runs 12 personnel, Brown is normally off the field. So, a slight touch-up for Godwin Evans. Well, that's just my two cents. Speaking of cents, favorite prop bet of this game is the team with the highest scoring quarter. It'll be New Orleans. Now, last week, I was very close to nailing New Orleans scoring in every quarter. Will Lutz was wide right on his kick in the second quarter. But New Orleans, when they score, they, off, they score often. They're, they're not afraid to score multiple times. They have quick drives. So I expect them to score two or three touchdowns in one of the quarters, and they'll have the highest score on the night. And that's going to do it from us here on the Important Nonsense Podcast, Divisional Round Playoff Edition. So six games last week was beautiful, but it's a lot of time for your weekend. This time, nice little bit streamlined. Four games over two days might end up being the best weekend of football we see all year. Matt LaFleur and the bad man Aaron Rodgers taking on his former boss in Sean McVay, with Rodgers taking on a fellow Cal graduate in Jared Goff. We've also got the 2018 draft rivalry between Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. See who can win in that one. We've also got the Texas Tech and Big 12 rivalry between Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes reigniting. And we've got the battle for their legacy in Tom Brady and Drew Brees. We've got so many storylines to watch I can't wait. And on that note, John, are there any specific storylines that you'll be watching this weekend? And do you have any parting words for all of our loving fans out there? Oh, of course, Jack. You, you mentioned a number of quarterback battles to keep an eye on for the divisional round. And that's what I'll be doing. But from a different perspective, I think this is the old guard thinking about Brady, Breeze, and Rodgers, perhaps in the twilights of their career in contrast with the next generation of quarterbacks, we have Mahomes, we have Lamar, we have Josh Allen, we got Baker. Uh, if Rodgers and, and if, if Rogers and Breezer Brady were to advance, uh, then I think we're going to see a lot of storylines going into the, uh, to the championship round about how the old guys still got it. Um, I'm not really sure where to put Goff in that, you know, in those categories. I'm not sure if he belongs in that young next generation because I'm not sure if he's good or not. And I think his own coach doesn't even know. Um, and that's another storyline, you know, Jared Goff and the Rams. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, some parting words. Just another shameless plug for all of the great content the Dynasty team at Important Nonsense is putting out right now. Myself, me. Matt and Chase, we're putting out some wonderful player profiles to get you ready for rookie drafts in Dynasty. So keep an eye out for that um, and just be good and be safe. Uh, and we'll see you next week. And be sure to follow John on Twitter at DynastyPhD and on Instagram at Scouser underscore from underscore OKC as we continue to ramp up the office season content. Like he said, we're building to a glorious Dynasty season. And on that note, Nee, what will you be looking for this weekend? And do you have any parting thoughts to leave with your fans in the metaphorical stands? Look, Jack, the season is slowly winding down in the NFL, but in Dynasty, the season is just hotting up. And we need to be paying attention to the coaching movements. As, as we've seen today and in the coming weeks, there's a movement at head coach, offense coordinator, and defense coordinator positions. They keep turning over consistently in the NFL. And as you pointed out to us, 
um, Dr. Dynasty and myself off air, there have only been two offensive coordinators in the NFL that have stayed the course in their current positions since 2018. Let that sink in. Two from 32. As one former player once told me, the NFL stands for not for long when it comes to the league longevity. And this applies to coaching as well. So we need to understand how this impacts our dynasty, guys. For instance, here's a scenario. The new Jaguars coach, Evan Meyer, could shock the world and go get Justin Fields with the first pick of the draft in 2021. If he can convince general manager Shad Khan. What's even more likely is that Meyer gets a phone and entices his former Buckeyes to join on what is a very salary cap rich roster. So I'm talking about guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, or even Carlos Jekyll and Hyde. One more run from the Hyde man, perhaps. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that coaching changes impact dynasty players, so you need to stay tuned, stay locked in, and get ahead of your league mates. And you need to be following me on Instagram at the real NWB and follow along with all the fantabulous content that me, John, myself, and the rest of the important nonsensers will be putting up throughout the off season over on importantnonsense.com and on all the socials at nonsense FF. I've been your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and it has been an honor once again breaking down all of the action ahead of the weekend. We'll be back next week with the conference championship show, but until then, stay safe, wear a mask, be kind to yourself because you deserve it, and most importantly, don't forget to keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!